It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, Bill Alexander, with you on the new online with Bill Alexander, the video edition here on YouTube and also at online with BillAlexander.com. Hope everything's going fine for you on this uh, Wednesday evening. I believe it is uh, what day of the week is it? It is one of those days. I know that much. I believe it's the 10th. Is that it? Yeah, that's the 10th of October. 2018 time flies when you're having fun getting all the bugs worked out we're also going to be airing this on Fayette TV channel 77 so that way you can uh, see me on TV and those of you that are watching at home you can join me uh, online with Bill Alexander the phone number is 724-505-1955 again that's 724 724- 505-1955. And on the phone line right now, we have a former student of mine. We'll just have to clarify that first, Mr. Darren Christopher. Darren, how are you doing this evening? Oh, great. How are you? I'm doing real good. So we have talked to you in the past on the old program about today's politics because you're much younger than I am. You're how old now? Oh, I'm I'm getting old myself. I'm uh, early 30s. Early 30s. Okay. Okay. So early 30s. And the one thing I wanted to ask you, actually, let me preface this to tell you what I did over this past weekend. Okay. I was in Pittsburgh. I was at Duquesne University, and I was taking part mm-hmm. in a um, panel discussion. I was in the audience that had Sally Wigan, Lynn Cullen, um, Harold Hayes and Andy Gassmeyer for the oh, Society yeah, your, your with, right, uh, with the Society of Professional Journalists. And we were talking about the yeah. state of media today, uh-huh. where it was 30 years ago, and where it may be in 10 years. Now, the thing that I want to know is media change that much that we'll never be able to go back to that time period again? Because, I mean, you remember it in the early 2000, mm-hmm. in the late 90s. Do you see a drastic mm-hmm. change, or is it just us old guys that are seeing it change? No. Yeah, absolutely. I think people born in the mid-80s probably straddled that divide a little bit because uh, a lot of us didn't have smartphones really until we were out of high school. Right. Social media took off when we were in college. So I, I kind of feel like I have a foot in both those worlds. But, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I feel like most people I know don't have any sort of TV package, a lot of cord cutting, at least in cities, uh, maybe maybe at home where people do. But I'd say in general, yeah, that whole consumption, that 
that idea of watching something when it comes on, I think is very uh, antiquated. Like you generally, you'll watch, uh, you know, a clip from John Oliver or from the daily show whenever you want to, as opposed to waiting around for 11 o'clock for a lot of people, I think. So I think that definitely changes the dynamic and how news is consumed when you can go seek out the content you want rather than happen across it. Do you believe that people your age in the, in their thirties are actually Uh seeking news or are they just taking what is being posted on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on Twitter, and they're using that as their news? Yeah, I'd say there's a lot of uh, self-confirmation bias for many people in general, uh, especially with all the uh, uh, distrust of media sources. A lot of people think that anything from the New York Times or even from the ABC, this is especially prevalent on the right, I would say, distrusting, distrusting any sort of professional journalism. So I think that you end up relying on the algorithm in your social media platform as opposed to going out of your way to read something that might challenge your perspective. Because even, you know, even the New York Times runs conservative columnists, the Wall Street Journal runs uh, liberal columnists, but you're not going to happen across that in the same way when you see it on your social media feed as opposed to reading a physical newspaper. So I think it's definitely a big challenge just getting out of your own information bubble when people are no longer arguing over a common set of facts. They're arguing from a completely different perspective about what happened or didn't happen with a given story. Are there actually facts still? Because from <laughs> what from what I'm saying, if I disagree with your yeah. facts, it's fake. Mm-hmm. And I and yeah. I find yeah. it interesting. And again. It all depends on the message you're trying to get out. You're hearing right now, um, if you like him or dislike him, it doesn't make the difference. But if the president doesn't like how it's being reported in the news, the first thing he says is, it's fake. It's not real. And I find it interesting that a lot of people, maybe that are not um, news savvy or news literate, is believing what he's saying over journalists that have had years and years of experience that that's what they do for their living well if you see how many uh, older folks that i know on facebook are prone to fall for the next hoax about whether or not they sent out a friend request to yes. their uh facebook connections i think it goes to show that there's uh, a low level of literacy on how these platforms work and i don't think that they can fully uh, distinguish between uh, a New York Times op-ed and some viral hoax. And I think it requires people to really put the time in to understand whether or not something's a valid news source. And obviously people are pressed for time. And I think that makes it uh, very challenging when you when we used to have, you know, it was an ideal for us to probably have only three primary uh, news authorities when we only had CBS, NBC, and ABC but we were operating from a common baseline of facts. And yeah, that's not the case anymore. Now, do you feel the three cable stations, CNN, MS, MNS, M, I can say it, trust me, MNBC, MSNBC, M-S-N-B-C. there we go, I got it, and Fox News. Do you consider them news or do you consider them news entertainment? Uh, I mean, I... I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Democrat. So anyone is going to say 
that I, I think there's a lot of false equivalency, and this this is true. Both of the parties, and okay. this is true of the media outlets. I really don't think that. Obviously, CNN and MSNBC are liberal leaning, but I would consider the majority of what they do to be grounded in better journalistic ethics than than a lot of what Fox does. I think I, I understand. I think that uh, what's his name? I think Chris Wallace is a pretty straightforward journalist, uh, but I, I really think that they they conflate. Uh, uh, it's almost veering into prop state-run propaganda, especially when you look at the ties between them and the administration. Uh, how close Rupert Murdoch's been to Trump. Uh, Fox obviously just hired Hope Hicks. Which, which is uh, what I was just about to bring up. As well, where they hired Democrats to be commentators, but I think it's a much more uh, insidious relationship on Fox, in my opinion. What I think is interesting is Fox News hired Hope Hicks, who has no mm-hmm. journalistic background whatsoever, but she is going to be um, one of their... Let me see if I can find uh, what the actual title is that Hope has been given. I think she's like a VP of communications or something. I mean, I think there is precedent for that. Obviously, George Stephanopoulos went from the Clinton White House to being a. But the thing you know, is, at least journalist Chris Matthews. You know, it's not that un, it's not that new ground, but I think you could probably raise questions about that be, being a new traditional path but in terms of people. Stephanopoulos. At least had a communications background in some way, shape, or form. I mean, uh, Hope Hicks. And Hope Hicks supposedly shit she did, but she came out of the Ivanka Trump uh, uh, empire, right. and she had nothing. It's right. just that Donald liked her, and that's why he put her in. Not to say that she doesn't know what she's doing now, but she has none uh-huh. of that traditional experience that you would assume that someone with this position would actually have. Yeah, and it's not a great trend, uh, I think, that reinforcing people's idea that the media is just uh, composed of picking sides uh, and advancing a partisan perspective. So, uh, yeah, I'd say it's not a great development in general. Yeah, she and, and in the article that I have here says that she will not officially start work until early 2019. Because Fox hmm. is um, in the midst of a major corporate transaction with Disney buying the most of 21st Century hmm. Fox, including cable channels like uh, FX and the company's movie studio. But Disney is not buying Fox News, Fox Sports, or the company's broadcast network or TV stations. So those assets mm-hmm. will be spun off to uh, form a slimmer down version of Fox, officially named, you guessed it, Fox. <laughs> Yeah. So they're they're going to bring it in. I think it's really interesting that ABC's parent company, which is Disney, is the one buying them. Yeah. But yeah, that's no really different than Universal buying before. NBC a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So again, I I find that uh, extremely interesting that that they're doing it. So Fox News in a lot of ways is the right arm of the president because that's the audience he's focused at because they are the ones that are mimicking what he is saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's numerous cases of uh, whatever they talk about on Fox and friends in the morning being whatever he said, he then ends up focused on on Twitter for the rest of the morning. So I'd say in general, 
uh, he, he he definitely seems to have a lot of time to watch uh, cable news for someone with a lot of responsibility. <laughs> well, the other thing I think is interesting, too, is he's the first, quote unquote, true TV president. I mean, we've talked about mm -hmm. Kennedy and we've talked about uh, Clinton and yeah. even a, an yeah. Obama that they actually felt comfortable. Even Ronald Reagan felt comfortable with the platform of TV. Not like this one, though. Mm -hmm because this one's able to manipulate it in a way that he can to actually get his message out. Now, you may not agree yeah. with his message, but dang it, he's doing a good job doing it. And, and, yeah. the, uh, yeah, and the media's yeah. fallen for it every, every uh, five or ten minutes. I honestly think we'd be better off if they would go a week without reporting on him, and I think things mm -hmm. would calm down more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he has a good sense for... Uh, and it's just a cycle then what issues uh really stick in people's crawl like right everything related to the uh mb or the nfl protest with the flag so i think he's really uh effective at using fox as a way to test out messages and to really control the news cycle like you said yeah and i agree with that uh the other thing that's interesting and i don't know if you uh saw the uh usa today is under fire mm -hmm. for uh, publishing an op-ed article from President Trump um, on the mm -hmm. Democratic Party's oh, effort to push uh, this Medica Medicare for all and many uh, mm -hmm. alleged f factual inaccuracies. In other words, he was just making stuff up, up as he was going along, and the USA Today still published it without even challenging it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I definitely don't think there's the same premium on uh, checking from what I can see in a lot of their communications. So I think that it definitely creates a challenge when uh, people are only paying attention to Fox or to Breitbart or to Alex Jones or whatever the given uh, platform is. Because, you know, there was that major report that came out this week about climate change and really narrowing the the timeline at which scientists estimate that the world really has chance to make progress on reducing emissions. And uh, there, there'll be plenty of people who won't even engage with the data of that because they won't trust uh, the news sources behind it and the science behind it. So I think that's a big long-term challenge, especially as we have new generations that are coming up with only knowing things like social media who will have never had experience with a, you know, a regular newspaper or news program. So I think there's a lot of challenges with that. Well, the bad thing is there aren't quote unquote regular newspapers anymore mm -hmm. because with the buyouts that are happening and they're going from a paper platform to a digital platform, it's not the mm -hmm. same thing. And I don't know if you uh, was, have been up here because you don't live in the area. If you've been to Western mm -hmm. Pennsylvania over the last uh, three or four months and saw the ads that the Post-Gazette did. No. And they were making fun of people my age. What's that? They were cutting down their circulation a lot. Is that right? Right. And they were changing, and they were doing these ads on TV that were making fun of, quote unquote, seniors, which I'm part of that demographic now, which I'd never, th I don't oh, see yeah, myself that way. And they were making yeah. fun of us reading the paper and not wanting to make the change into a, a digital platform. And it's like, yeah. wait a minute, this is going to backfire on you. And in a lot of ways it did. But we're noticing just in the Fayette County area that the uh, 
that the Nuttings who bought the Herald Standard also just mm-hmm. bought the Washington Observer Reporter. And there's mm-hmm. no local news in that paper anymore. Most of it's basically coming off the Associated Press. Mm-hmm. Because that's cheaper. It, uh, they don't have to pay anything. Business model. Yeah, you don't have to pay yeah, benefits yeah. to the AP. Yeah, I think it, that's going to be another uh, another long-term development in that I think it'll probably make more sense at some point. I think we're already there for journalism to be uh, something that falls into the realm of philanthropy, the way that Jeff Bezos is okay. keeping the Washington Post vibrant. Uh, and uh, I, I know like uh, Steve Jobs' widow uh, basically owns the Atlantic now, but then that also opens up uh, the possibility of these of these companies uh, exerting their agenda through the newspaper, as we saw, I think when the you know in the Post Gazette, the new owner ended up canning the cartoonist for making fun of Trump, essentially for Rob Rogers. So I think yeah. that's kind of be, uh, a big challenge is figuring out a way to get funding from these places where they're not dependent on a profit model. It doesn't make sense anymore, but that also won't allow them to uh, abuse it uh, with a with a extremely personal slant on the news so i think that's that's going to be a big another big uh, conundrum now the other thing that we talked about this past weekend is that you're seeing this stuff being transitioned online but the only problem is the people that are claiming they're quote unquote journalists Mm -hmm. probably aren't really journalists they are people that are, are doing opinion pieces and they make them look like they're actual news stories because they have their yeah. bias and their slant in that story. Is that mm-hmm. going to affect the way we see things in the next 5, 10, 15 years? In my opinion, it is, because I think that people oh, yeah. have their own agendas. They're not doing it for the good of everybody. They're just doing it to make a name for themselves. Yeah, and I think it drives the continued nationalization of a lot of the news and issues. Like there's that old Tip O'Neill quote where he said, all politics is local. Right. I think it's almost exactly the opposite now where I, uh, most people know much more about uh, their senators and the president than they would know about uh, you know their local legislative races. And a lot of that has to do with when the news is gutting those resources, like you've said, and turning to freelancers and bloggers they don't have the same uh infrastructure in place to be covering uh the local politics beat at all and same thing for foreign bureaus it just becomes much it's it's much easier to write an op-ed about uh you know what's going on in washington as opposed to having someone who's uh tracking spending in harrisburg well, so I think that that'll be one of the effects is to is to just take attention away from local government, which obviously usually impacts people more than the national level does. And the bad thing is, and and I'm I'm using it as a prop as I hold up my phone, is that uh-huh. that right there gave people power that they never thought they'd have before because they can shoot video, they can record mm-hmm. audio, and they can write. And if they're an event or something, and something happens they're able to mm-hmm. to get it out immediately unlike traditional media you have to wait for the you have to wait for tv on the certain times it's on either in the morning at noon at 4 at 5 at 6 at 11 well now with social mm-hmm. media i can get it out there immediately the only problem is yeah. we don't know if it's accurate 
and people are buying yeah. these stories as being accurate. And in some ways, it may be misconstrued. I mean, when I went to school and when I worked radio, when I worked in the news department, before we could mm -hmm. say anything on an air about a story, we had to have two sources and preferably three mm -hmm. sources before we could actually go and report the story. Because if not, it was just he, he said, she said. There was really no... Um, there was no uh, validity to the story until we had a third source. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, right definitely. now you could, you could sit there and you could uh, what, wherever you're at right now. And you may say that you're getting bad service from your cable company <laughs> and there may be uh -huh. an issue why you're getting bad service, but you can start lambasting them on the online, on Twitter, on Facebook and people will believe you and start going after the cable company. In reality, there may have been a minor problem that they were working on that you didn't know about. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I think it has a lot of good and bad consequences. We're able to have phones everywhere now. So we're able to shine a light on things the way they couldn't before. You know, we, we, we see, uh, you know, things like when a cop, uh, is abusing their authority, and now it's much easier for people to document that, or, right? Or all the things we've seen in, in protests and democracy movements around the world. But then it's also easier to to fake a lot of that stuff too. So I think in general, it goes back to that need to be more media literate, which hopefully the younger generation of that uh, younger generations at least will uh, come with some of that. But there's but a problem. You do need to. Have you use uh, use my sure. favorite word, which is media literate. There's only one problem. Uh -huh. No one's teaching them. Yeah. Because the people yeah. that would be able to teach it, they don't know themselves. I mean, mm -hmm. how many times you go online and look at a story and then you go, you know what? That doesn't sound right to me. And then you try to go fact check it or you go try to find other sources to verify what you read. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the stuff I read on a national level now, I read two or three stories that are are dealing with it. So I know if it's true and I'm not just getting it out of the post or the times. Yeah. So again, it's just, yeah. it's just, how do we, how do you train a younger generation? Because right now what they're doing is, is they're listening to what mom and dad are saying, grandma and granddad, aunt and uncle, whoever it may be. And depending on what side of the fence they sit on, the kids are starting to, uh, create their own opinion. And it's usually in reaction to what their mother and dad says. Yeah, yeah, it should definitely be part of uh, civic curriculum, I would say, for sure. That should be a, bit, a heavy component on it. I, I agree totally. I mean, right now, uh, I'm working on a project which I think is interesting, and I don't know where it came from, but we're doing this thing dealing with kindness. Uh -huh. I'm going, how can I do kindness when the people that we look up to or did look up to that are in the political arena or even celebrities, they're not being kind. How do we treat, uh -huh. teach a 14 or 15 year old this? You have to act this way. And when they come back and say, well, that's not the way so-and-so acts. Why should I? Yeah. I mean, well, we, we're in first lady's uh, defense campaign. <laughs> I think that's what that's focused on. Yeah. Uh, stop cyberbullying. So, uh, and, and you see how well that's working. <laughs> yeah, I I just don't I don't get it, and I don't know. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on tonight is because I've been 
dealing with this issue for the last few weeks. And it's like, I need someone else to bounce the idea off of because I thought I was the only one that was saying, wait a minute, this isn't going to work until everybody in the adult age range starts to be kind. And no one is kind. I mean, especially right now during political season, the campaign ads that we're seeing up here in Western Pennsylvania are just downright ridiculous. Yeah, I do think people act, uh, generally speaking, pretty differently online than they do in person. There's something about the remove of oh, yeah. uh, being able to comment. The whole passive-aggressive um, thing. In, in an anonymous way, uh, like a lot of uh, you know news sites, like the comments on any news article are basically not helpful to read because it's just a, a general dumpster fire. <laughs> uh, so I think that some of that has to do with how the internet's developed, where, they, where it's almost a step backwards for us to be able to be anonymous in this way uh, and uh, uh, I think in general uh, more in-person interaction probably goes a big way towards towards addressing some of that. What frustrates me especially about the internet is no one can have their own opinion because if mm -hmm. I have an opinion and if you don't agree with my opinion you're going to come after me uh, with both both arms ready to go because what happens is is that we don't, we can't tolerate anybody. Everybody has to think like us. And if they don't, they're wrong or there's something wrong with them or they're bad or they're trying to do this or they're trying to do that. And that's because of the way politics has turned into just in the last, I hate to say it, in the last 15, 16 years. More happened on September 11, 2001 than planes going into buildings and people getting killed. Our whole structure of civility went right out the window the same day. Really? You think you, you think it was 9-11? I think right after that, because just think of how difficult, um, how no one wanted to work together. I mean, just in politics, it was either us or them, and no one was willing to do it. Hmm. I mean, we got together after the first year, don't get me wrong, but once that came into play, no one could agree on everything. And that's when talk radio mm. changed. That's when they were blaming both sides. And there was no dialogue going back and forth. It was just basically, I'm right, you're wrong, go somewhere else or leave. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I, 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 feel like, uh, I feel like a lot of my impression of that particular time was almost uh, dissent was not allowed. Like we had almost everyone voting for things like the future back that were a bad idea. But yeah, right. definitely a few years closer to the election and as Iraq wasn't going well for sure. See, I'm 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 wondering uh, if that yeah, perception I'm wondering if that perception is because of age. Yeah, yeah, it could be for sure. And you know, obviously the nineties were no picnic <laughs> with uh Bill Clinton and, and uh you know, I, I I feel like from what I've read it's never you know, we had a guy practically came to death on the floor of the uh, Senate during the Civil War. Yeah. Civil War. I, I think what is different today is uh, just the intensity of the technology in your face. And I think that's why, uh, you know, I'd be interested to hear if your students even use Facebook. I, I feel like most younger people I know in their 20s and teens uh, are just using things like Snapchat because they don't, I feel like a big part of it beyond you don't want to interact with your parents online is that they don't, <laughs> I think they're responding to that toxicity i mean facebook is basically a dumpster fire it is point. if you're ever going to have opinion like you've said and that's a lot of it's built into the design of it where it's not incentivizing 
you know, like a site like Reddit, you can upvote a productive comment and that keeps the conversation on track and Facebook doesn't do that. So I think that that's a, I think that's a threat to it in the long run for people, for uh, the company in the U.S. I think younger people just don't enjoy that, that experience of it. So I think some of this has to do with how technology continues to develop. And, and I think, and I think you're right because most people are not going to be on the same platform that their parents are on, especially Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that people that are abusing Facebook are not your, I hate using the term millennial, but it's not that age group. It's everybody older than that because yeah, yeah, they're not on it. They're hiding behind who they are. It's the same way as the old idea of the letter to the editor. You don't know who I am. I'm using a different name. I'm coming after you and I can make all these ridiculous claims and no one can come after me. The only problem Mm -hmm. is now people are brave enough to use their own names and they're posting it. I mean, we know we've seen people in Western Pennsylvania lose jobs because of comments Mm -hmm. they've made on Facebook that were disparaging to another group. And it's like, well, have you seen that? I think the head of the EPA might be next. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, he's the guy who replaced, uh, what's his name, Scott Pruitt. Yeah. But uh, it's just coming out that he has liked like all of these photos over the years of like comparing, uh, you know, Michelle Obama to a uh-huh. ape and all kinds of shit. And uh, I, I think that it just shows how all that behavior. I don't think that people that age understand no. what they're doing is like permanently. Uh, uh, recorded on the internet and like entering into the public record. So yeah, I think you'll continue to see people using it unwisely and it coming back to to haunt them. Yeah, even if you delete it, it's still there uh-huh. because someone, some other organization has spidered it or pulled it into the web mm-hmm. even further. And if you do a search, no matter how many times, you'll find it eventually. I mean, you can go back Mm -hmm. uh, when I started doing the original program online in 2006. There are still Mm -hmm. sites. Now, the audio is not there, but all the comments are still there that were made and the description and everything else. So you could figure out what was said. It's just that the actual file's not there because the company I was using before, their servers crashed and I lost over 300 interviews. Hmm. Ouch. Anyway. You just just lose the stuff But uh, I'm looking at my Twitter feed right now. I've been on Twitter since 2007. And Uh it's it's funny to me that a lot of people still haven't jumped over to that platform because they don't understand how it works. Honestly, I like Twitter better than I like Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I think so for sure. It doesn't invite the same kind of uh, crowd pile up and it doesn't... uh, uh, yeah, I think the newsfeed feature is just very uh, invasive in general. So, yeah, it's interesting because this stuff is all a choice. And it's largely a choice of a few particular companies that's really shaping public discourse more than anything the government does. So it's kind of uh, it's a bit unsettling to see how much power they have gotten inadvertently without knowing what they were doing necessarily. Right. So, again, I find it interesting. And another thing I wanted to bring up, to you is uh, Nikki Haley resigning yesterday, uh-huh. which I thought was kind yeah. of interesting because all the stories started to fly around that the reason they're doing that is because someone wants to get a new attorney general who happens to be a senator out of South Carolina. And if they appoint mm-hmm. him to AG, 
then Nikki can go back and fill his seat. Oh, yeah. I that, actually. Yeah. And, and I heard that yesterday. I'm going, that makes a lot of sense. Not that I want Lindsey Graham as the attorney general. Yeah, I think at this point she can probably come up with a few things to cite as accomplishments and then get out. Even though she'll be there for the end of the year, she can she can have started that process before uh, the elections in case they end up uh, losing seats in one or both of the houses. So it allows her to maintain some space because she's only 46, so now she'll have uh, you know international and executive experience. So she's obviously positioned well if she wants to run for higher office. So it seems like a good move to try to get out before she's been painted. But too many people <laughs> seem to end up who end up getting into this orbit. So they said she swore she won't run in 2020. Do you really think she has a shot in 2024? Uh, that seems like a universal way to me. Who knows? It'll. <laughs> I'll just start working down through Don and Eric and uh, Ivanka, I guess, <laughs> at that point. I have a new, have a new dynasty. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that an Indian-American woman would go to the top of the list for a Republican primary, but who knows? I mean, crazy things happen, and I think Republicans do. I think they are very defensive about all the charges about not being diverse. So I think they really... They, they actually end up elevating a lot of people more than Democrats often do. People sometimes when I feel like Ben Carson, but I think that, uh, you know, it's something that they will still be thinking about after the death battle from the Trump years, if that, if that, if it happens that way. Well, and then I heard yesterday too, that the replace Nikki Haley, the rumor was Ivanka Trump. <laughs> yeah, well, he Trump said that uh, he would get accused of uh, nepotism. nepotism which he would be terrific. Yeah, I want to know if yeah. he knows what nepotism uh, is. Yeah, no, I, I think he would miss her too much. <laughs> uh, but I, I, yeah. I again, I thought that was real. I thought that was really entertaining because I'm going. There's a lot of things playing out here that I would have never thought of because uh, mm -hmm. it's just it's just. Uh, it's just what's happening. Because again, if I go back and I still think I have access to the program that you and I did two years ago from the guy that mm -hmm. swore to me that he wasn't going to get elected president, um, <laughs> things change in a very odd way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah, out of the prediction business. Who knows anymore? <laughs> it's safer that way. Hey, did you know on this date, October 10th, 1973 is the day that Spiro uh -huh. Agnew resigned the vice presidency amid as accusations of income tax evasion. Huh? Yeah, that'd be uh, nothing today. I mean, yeah, that's the thing that we had this, we had a new story about Trump, Trump's family evading, you know, $400 million in taxes. It's not even a story. It's, it's a not a hours. blip on the and radar. Because, uh, you know, any, uh, it's just fake news because the New York Times had reporters uh, investigating it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can only imagine this guy would probably be spinning in their graves to know, uh, you know, how how effectively you'd be able to manipulate the media today as opposed to Nixon and Agnew's time. And, and what's interesting right. about that, and I didn't know this until this past weekend, the New York Times spent 18 months investigating that mm. story. 
And they said that they could have probably published it sooner. However, Mm -hmm. they just wanted to make sure all their I's were dotted and their T's were crossed before they published it. Yeah, it's really doing humans work when there's people whose immediate reaction is just going to be that it's that it's uh, fake, not valid. So yeah, I'm sure it's a very disheartening thing for for a lot of reporters to know they're going to have that reaction, no matter how much work they put into it. I just can't imagine my kid coming to me and saying, "Dad, I want to be a journalist." I would talk him out of that so quick it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> because I mean. Teachers are hated right now in this country. So are journalists. I don't know who's worse. But you feel uh, like teachers are? Oh yeah, we've we've been attacked I, I for your like heck. We just don't want to raise taxes to pay them anything uh, in comparison to what they should be making. But again, it's their fault that society's falling down around them because they're not the kids aren't being taught anything. Um, of course, I picked yeah, two professions. I, I picked two professions that were the most hated in the country. Go figure, right? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, especially we're ten years out from a financial crisis that was caused largely by uh, Wall Street, and right. we've continued to beat up on people making, uh, you know, people at the far other end of the income spectrum. Uh, and we've we've been able to, uh, you know, I think look at everything through a through a, a profit lens because a lot of these jobs, that, you know, these are public goods jobs in a way they don't they don't lend themselves to the same economic incentives uh unless we make a commitment through through uh our tax dollars but uh yeah it makes it hard to get uh talented people to go into those professions and then that just creates a perpetuating cycle i made a comment to you yesterday i just mean i just mean in general though there's a lot of people who would be great teachers as well who go into other oh i I agree I, I, i agree but I made a comment to you the other day um, when I was setting this up, and I don't want to mention names, mm-hmm. but I made the comment to you that it's interesting, the people that are complaining about mm-hmm. paying people more or paying more taxes, because mm-hmm. they're usually of a certain age and a certain financial bracket, and it's basically yeah. the hell with everybody else, I got mine. And I started noticing that about, what, 10, 15 years ago when the Tea Party started to raise its head. And I blame that's Mm -hmm. part of the reasons why we're in the mess we're in, because it was these groups of people saying, I don't need to pay for this stuff because I did my fair share. Well, the thing is, your neighbors who didn't have kids paid for your kids to go to school. It's just now it's your turn to do the same thing. And they don't think it's fair. And that yeah. that's what frustrates me about it is because I want better roads. I want mm-hmm. better police forces. I want better education. Mm-hmm. And I understand the way I do that is I pay my state, local and federal taxes. The only problem is yeah. if I don't pay them, I don't have those services anymore. It's like if I mm-hmm. refuse to pay my electric bill tomorrow in 30 days, I have no electricity. They get that. They just don't get the other because they don't see where that money is actually going. Yeah, I'd say conservative messaging is really effective because it's, it's, it's really simple to advocate for lower taxes because government's ineffective. And then lower taxes means that government has to 
reduce what it can do, which makes it less effective, which makes that message resonate more with people. So it's really just a, a self-perpetuating cycle in a lot of ways. Well, and uh, yeah, I agree. The other thing I find interesting, which I'll get yelled at for this one, is that there's all these <laughs> grants that are going around. And the thing oh, is, yeah, right. all these grants right. and all these, and, and no matter what side of the, the aisle you sit on as a politician, they're so proud mm-hmm. that they can bring this money to their constituents. And I go, wait a minute, that money came from me. <laughs> Not that I'm against <laughs> it, but 20 minutes ago, you told me you didn't want to raise taxes, but yet you're giving money to another group. And you're saying, well, it's a good thing that we're giving grants. Well, yeah, but tell people where the money's coming from. It's not being made off or growing on trees and they don't get it. Or the other ones that I love that work for nonprofit agencies that are, that are, are, Mm -hmm. are staunch conservatives and they don't understand that they're getting money from taxpayers, but yet they don't want to pay their taxes. (laughs) Yeah. I remember there being uh, some sort of, Republican congressman who would show up uh, at the opening of a stimulus-funded project in his state, even when he voted against the stimulus. Right. You know, I I think it's all well and good to, uh, you know, take credit if you're able to steer a project a certain way to your community. But that doesn't make sense to be uh, talking out the other side of your mouth on the value of a. making those investments and and having uh, enough tax base to properly fund government. So you're saying about talking on both sides of their mouths. So let's, mm-hmm. so as that's what giving the constituency a problem, because one minute they say one thing, one minute they say something else. And honestly, you can't believe anybody. Yeah. And it's always challenging to figure out who's really good credit for a project when it's, uh, right. you know, from the governor and you have uh, multiple legislators and county commissioners and whoever else right. uh, jumping into the picture. You know, ideally it's a collaboration and all, you know, sometimes it represents what government could be and people coming together to get a project done. And, um, and I so. wish, and I wish that when these people do come together and they may be doing it behind closed doors to get the money here, but when the camera mm-hmm. is on them or the microphone's in front of them, they start talking mm-hmm. something totally different. And I don't care what mm-hmm. party they are, independent, Democrat, Republican, whatever it may be, they all do it because they don't they want to look like, well, I'm only able to work with with this group of people. But in reality, they're actually working the other side of the line. I don't think it's bad for compromise. I miss the days of compromise. I miss Tip O'Neill. I miss Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan. Not that I was a fan of him when he was president, but at least they talked to each other and they did it civilly and not the way that it's being done now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there definitely used to be, I think part of the test that there used to be uh, the parties were much ideologically wider. Uh, you know, you had liberal Republicans, you had more conservative, right. what we call the blue dog Democrats, mm-hmm. and now it, again it's much more and i think that, that's what to win the regions were more distinct and local politics mattered more it used to be uh you know i, I think it was a, a a lot of people would prefer to be in local government than in congress because they could control the flow of local projects like someone like uh you know fred lebder who chairman and fed all those years he probably I don't know if you ever want to go to Congress because you could exert all kinds of uh, authority and be involved in projects at home. And today, when a lot of the incentives seem to be about being in the media and almost 
becoming a celebrity and then right. using that to uh, further yourself, as opposed to, you know, we, we've always had incentives where people want to continue to be elected. I used to align with delivering to your constituents. Today, there's a lot of Republican states voted against receiving, you know, the expansion of Medicaid that would come from the federal government, even though it would benefit their constituents, they'd be more likely to get uh, kicked out of office because they went against this ILR, uh, you know, this, this purity test of not taking tax dollars and expanding a government program. It's very strange when you have the situation where a lot of people will vote against their interests because, again, politics is much more nationalized and about ideology as opposed to tangible projects in someone's district. And the, the other thing that I'm noticing more now, it's it, it's the whole idea of win at all cost. Um, mm-hmm. The money that is being thrown into these small local races from the national mm-hmm. party or the state party is ridiculous mm-hmm. because now mm-hmm. the candidate is 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 stuck following the agenda because this money has been thrown at them. And of course, yeah, you'd be stupid if you didn't use it because ad dollars are expensive, ad buys mm-hmm. are through the roof, and it's mm-hmm. just that you you have to take it if you want to win. And we have some local races right now where you're just listening to the garbage that's coming out. And it's like, it's all interpretation. Yes, he did this. Yes, yeah. he did that. But put it in context, why was it done? But we don't do that anymore. We just do everything on face value. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just one of those situations where we're just, we're nitpicking on everything. And there's, and eventually there will never be a candidate that's going to pass a litmus test to be put into office because everybody's going to have something in their background that's going to come out against them. <laughs> yeah, that, it might be a truce after Trump improving how to how to get past any sort of controversy like that. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I really I think campaign finance is the underlying issue that drives everything else really because uh, that determines who's at the table for healthcare and energy, and it really shapes the agenda. And, you know, I think that was one of the. Uh, that was one of the most significant legacies uh, when, you know, I thought about when McCain passed away and they eventually we would have got that, but the, the McCain-Feingold Act that was about limiting the ability of individual donors to give tens of thousands to an individual candidate. Now now we have workarounds where we have to create a super PAC and it's often not uh, directly tied to a candidate. There's a lot of rules they found around those around the laws that he helped pass. So I think it speaks to the need to continue to update that. But uh, yeah, I really think that's, that's the, one of the most important issues. But do in you terms think the they would be willing to update it? Because if they do update it, it's cutting their own throat. Yeah. It's interesting because you could make it, it. I mean, it'd be really popular. Who's against getting, getting money out of politics and draining the swamp. I mean, if Trump was serious about it, he could totally do a, Nixon goes to China type of thing there and work with Democrats on it since his whole thing was being above the system. I know how the system works, so I can fix it. But uh, yeah, obviously it's hard to get people to vote against giving themselves themselves an advantage. So it really has to come from a major narrative shift where people are feeling more pressured by not acting than acting. And campaign finance is a more abstract issue for a lot of people. It's easy, you know, because 
when we talk about public financing of elections, that would make it, that would level the playing field, allow right. more ordinary people to run for office. But then the argument would be framed as spending taxpayer dollars on political ads. So it's, it's just a hard issue to explain to people, and it speaks to the importance of media literacy, like you've said before. We have a candidate that's in the Pittsburgh area right now who's saying, and I, I think it's funny, he's running for a state seat. He's running for the uh, the House. And his campaign uh-huh. slogan is, and I don't know if he's an officer or not because I don't pay close attention to Allegheny County, but he made the comment uh-huh. that if he gets in, he will not take a state pension and he will vote on reducing the legislature. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. are you going to reduce your seat? Are you going <laughs> to, I mean, really? Because I found out the one thing uh, years ago, actually the recent history, that local senators and local reps were saying they were not going to take a state vehicle to mm-hmm. drive back and forth. Well, guess what they're taking? They're taking the reimbursement. They're not taking the vehicle. They're not taking the state vehicle. No, they're getting paid the reimbursement on what the federal level is for reimbursement on mileage, which is usually Mm -hmm. more than what it would be to lease a car or take a Harrisburg vehicle. And people thought that was Mm -hmm. wonderful. I, I work with somebody when Corbett got into office, he said he was going to get rid of all the state lease vehicles. So he did. But we were still paying mm-hmm. more because people were taking the reimbursement. Yeah, it's tricky. It's an easy issue to stoke up people being mad about when uh, your legislators, legislators make a lot more than your uh, constituents, which is probably the case in, in say ad. But at the same time, you want you don't want a case like I'm not for the part time legislators like they have in some states because I think it generally favors wealthy people who can afford to be taking all this time and not making money right uh you know i think i think singapore maybe like they tend to like really over no, they, they they've tied basically performance to higher salaries than you see anywhere else in the public sector as a way to incentivize people but yeah i think in general everyone's obviously trying to provide for their families and i think that uh, having an incentive isn't the worst thing to get more regular people in office, but yeah, we have to watch out for uh, you know the obvious abuses, which I think have been the case in here for, for a long time on things like perks. Well, you you made an issue, you made a comment about what they're getting paid compared to what their constituency make. Someone in this region, which is the poorest part of the state of Pennsylvania, the representative is making mm-hmm. almost ninety thousand dollars a year, and I'm going. That's nowhere close to what the average wage is in Washington, Fayette, or Greene County mm-hmm. on the average individual. Yeah. Now, yes, there are people making that, but if you take mm-hmm. the average, there's no way. And yet yeah. we think that's okay. But again, if they aren't making it, this is the other thing. If they're not making it from the state, the parties are going to be supplementing their income anyhow, which I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing now. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything myself wrong with having that be a well compensated position. You have a lot of authority. You're working around the clock. You could probably, you know, for a lot of people, if you're, they might be lawyers who could who could be doing more lucrative. Exactly. Things than exactly. But yeah, it's, it's about finding that right balance. Uh, and I do think that, you know, at least in uh, in Congress, 
or, you know, they make over six figures, but they end up spending a lot of time with very well-heeled donors. And then that leads to them, you know, being incentivized to go become a lobbyist and vote in a certain way. So I, I do think it's, it's a, a tricky balance to strike in making sure that regular people can afford to run for these jobs but could not make it uh, become about that as opposed to, you know, benefiting their communities. I, I can't see what normal person would even want to run for office today. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I'd say, uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, character assassination in general is not going <laughs> to be a, a great incentive for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people are, skeptical of the enterprise and think that they can achieve more if they work through a nonprofit or a foundation. Right. Um, yeah. But I think that that just leaves, uh, leaves, uh, you know, less, less talented people to fill those positions. So I'd say that's definitely the, the sacrifice that they're making when they run for. It. And I think, you know, this year it seems like we're seeing record numbers of younger people and women and different kinds of people running. Uh, I went to, grad school with a guy who started an organization called run for something if you were google them he lives in new york but they're they're basic they basically provide support to people who are running for office for the first time and it looks like i you know a lot of i don't think uh connor lamb he, you know that's by no means uh someone who's an outsider to politics coming from that family right but i that there is a lot of communities that are open to younger people and new perspective you saw in New York, where uh, Joe Crowley got knocked off by someone who was just a, a bartender a few years ago, yes. who fits more with the demographics of that district. So, uh, you know, I hope that the upside of the Trump years will be more people to decide to get involved and, and make a run for it. Well, the, the one I think is interesting is the one in it. Texas who's running against Ted Cruz. Oh, yeah. Beto, yeah. The, the former yeah, uh, punk rocker. Because I, I found that, okay. that interesting, and I've heard him speak, and I'm going, okay, I like the guy. I'm not a big fan of Cruz, but that has nothing to do with his politics. So I want to know yeah. why you haven't moved back up this way and you haven't run for office. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would it would go too well within a few, <laughs> few questions on uh, on uh, guns or coal or most anything else, really. Oh, I, that's I, right. I, I forgot you worked for the EPA under the Obama administration. I forgot about that. Yeah, DOE, but yeah, same thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I you know I do think that's, a, that's that's one thing too is that our system really does incentivize, uh, probably rightfully in most cases, you know, being very uh, established in a community, which which is generally a good thing. Right. But I do think you uh, you know that a lot of people who do move around then have a, a harder time getting involved, but maybe later on they can. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say it is. I think people today have much less tolerance for being open to uh, dissenting views. It, 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 I think a lot of people, it's, they want to know if you're an R or a D and that's the end of it. Uh, maybe not everywhere. It seems like there's maybe going to be some more purple districts. And, and Pennsylvania obviously had a pretty good redistricting process, I think, in terms of uh, our, our districts being more competitive. Fayette's going to have a district that makes a lot more sense now. Yes. We're actually with our surrounding area. Which but, I uh, find interesting that it was challenged, but nothing ever came of the challenge. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they really have any legal, legal standing there. 
but yeah, and then that poor guy who ran against Connor Lamb had to lose twice <laughs> and live in like Sacone, yeah. yeah, 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 Rick Sacone. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that congressional race at Fayette's getting much attention, from what I can tell. The Barbara, what's her name? Uh, no. Reschenthal and Bob Barrero. Yeah, Barbaran, Barbarino, whatever her name is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's interesting because it seems like that might have been a good opportunity to try to get a conservative Democrat in this time. Right. Um, it, it does, I haven't, I, maybe I'm just out of the loop on it. I haven't heard a lot about it. It seems like he'll, he's likely to just run away with the demographics of it, but uh, who knows? One question I want to ask you before I, before uh, I let you go is, is dealing with that. And, and you're talking about conservative Democrat or a liberal Republican, liberal Republican, do you see mm-hmm. the R's and the D's going further to the left and the right and not coming towards the middle? Because in their mind, the middle is a bad thing. Uh, I think your incentives in the primary definitely incentivize that. Like uh, the guy who lost in Queens Crowley, he's probably seen as a you know, establishment Democrat and the person who won ran to his left. I mean, I think in general, that's been the playbook. And then the challenge is always uh, to be able to win the general election to not go so far to the right or to the left. Uh, but, you know, I, I, mean, I personally don't think that the ideas of Democrats are that far out there. I mean, they're largely about making college more affordable, healthcare more affordable. Uh, you know, I don't think that it's, it's anyone is advocating for socialism. Right. Uh, well, you know, there's a few that are from what I've been you know, hearing. Can, I'm sure you can make an argument for things like uh, abolishing ICE as being the kind of far left position yeah. that isn't the party platform by any chance. But then when one person runs on it, uh, that becomes what uh, Republicans paint right. the entire party as. I don't, I don't even know if the Republicans are like moving to the right. In some, I don't really know what it is because we have these protectionist trade policies. That's certainly not a, a far right position. I don't think that cozying up to Kim Jong-un in the way we have is necessarily a far-right position. I think it's just a Trump party. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I think it's the way it's the being place. labeled. I think that they're yeah. they're creating a new version of it. I mean, before we had yeah. these, we, we've had these terms of, of rhino, Republican and, and name only, and then we've had dinos, which are Democrat and name only, and they and the people just ran as those parties to win in their districts. And then they went into the DC or went into Harrisburg and actually was able to vote for what fit closer to their agenda. Except now everybody has an R and the D, even if they are or not. So I, again, I, I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. It'd be interesting to me to see his long-term effect on the party. Cause I know there's a lot of criticism about, Obama's appeal really didn't extend to the party beyond him. Like right. he won, but then we lost hundreds of seats. We lost uh, the midterms both times, which isn't uncommon for a sitting president. But uh, it, it seems like people have much more of an attachment to him than to the party itself. I, it it kind of feels to me like Trump almost has done a better job of uh, embracing the party. I think Obama kind of always stood apart, right. being above the I whole fray. And I think of all the things on his plate, uh, I think that he pro- he de-emphasized 
party building and training a good bench of people. You know, you might think we have a good bench. I, I think it's not great for 2020, um, which you could see in Hillary Clinton being his successor. Why was there no one younger than Bernie and Biden and right. Hillary ready to go? Um, so I don't know. Not that I think Donald Trump's <laughs> all that enthused about uh, supporting anything other than himself. Well, but it seems like people much... Republican faithful really believe that supporting the party is supporting him. So, and well, I think you know, they I'm have sure to because if they don't support him, they're going to be voted out of office. Something like, what's that? If they don't support him, they're going to be voted out of the office. We yeah, have, we have, part of it too. Obama never had that. He, I remember like Joe Lieberman spoke against, spoke at McCain's 08 convention against Obama. And the party was like, we need to punish him and strip right. him of this committee he chaired. And Obama like let him stay there. And Obama appointed, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton. And I think in general, Obama wasn't about punishing people with the same kind of retribution that Trump has no problems with. You could argue that that Trump's strategy is a more effective way to ensure that uh, everyone buys into his agenda. So, yeah. So I think a lot of the votes people make on their state rep and state senator and things like that, they're going to continue to be driven by uh, straight party voting more than the local, you know, I'm sure there's always races where there's local developments that, that take over uh, the, the, the discussion, but I think it's going to continue to be about, if you support Trump, you're going to vote that way all the way down to, to your borough council, most likely. Do, do you think, and honestly, this is the last question. Do you think what are you talking about Kavanaugh either, huh? <laughs> I know where to go and where not to go? Um, do you think if it would have been any other Republican that ran but had the same uh-huh. beliefs and the same values and did the same thing as Trump but wasn't as boisterous, would we be ha- uh-huh. being the situation we're in today? <laughs> Or is it the personality uh, that's driving the 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 uh, the rage of the nation? Um, well, no, uh, I you know I I don't think that people really were all that riled up about you know from the, I I think they you know it's an emotional vote for people and it you know it's it's more about something that they think about themselves a lot of people liked obama because it made them outside the policy it made them feel good to support him and it made them feel like they were part of a optimistic movement and i think i think the same thing with trump it was less about the that's the thing because when you're when you're hillary clinton or someone like john Kerry, you're talking about position papers or policy papers that's never going to compete with you know, build a wall and make America great again and very simple, effective communication. Uh, so I think he always had a very, a very good sense that this was, uh, you know, a TV show and there was no one else on the level on that stage. But the bad thing is like John Kasich. It, it's a whole, I mean, this is, this is a media engagement. It, show it is. It is a TV show now. It is a reality well. show. Yeah. I mean, it controls yeah. probably 85% of the news is what's going on in the White House, if you agree with it or you disagree with it. I mean, mm. he is playing the system so well. And the thing is, is for yeah. anybody else, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in 2020, and I don't even want to try to speculate. But anybody <laughs> trying to run against him 
has to have the same charisma. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is by bringing another celebrity in to run against it. Because a politician by trade is not going to beat him. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely would have to. I mean, I, I think there's been so many postmortems done in the last election. I think that people understand that you need to be able to connect in a direct way with people. But it's just challenging. You have a country this big and so many different uh, types of communities. You're, you know, Cory Booker's not going to play well everywhere. And uh, Elizabeth Warren certainly won't play well right. everywhere. And I think that Trump's always been content with getting 51% or less, really, if you look at the popular vote. Uh, and Democrats are always trying to appeal to everyone. Uh, so, yeah, it makes, uh, it'll, it'll be a considerable challenge for, for whoever ends up taking, uh, taking a moment. Again, it, it will be interesting to see what happens, but uh, it will be fun nonetheless. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. at least it'll be fun to watch. Let's just say that. Yeah, we'll see. I don't think that the Oprah or the Rock, or I think Democrats in general aren't going to be susceptible to uh, celebrity candidates. They might have to make do with uh, the crap they have. Well, I think Mark Cuban is the one that uh, they're trying to get in. I wouldn't yeah, mind having mean. a guy from. I, hey, I wanted. I I, I wouldn't mind seeing. Uh, was it uh, Kasich running out of Ohio? The guy was from McKee's Rocks. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. He's from yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah. And his father yeah. was a mailman. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And Cuban's also yeah. Pittsburgh native. So again, it goes back to that whole thing. Or how about Joe Manganello? Have him do it with his uh, with uh, his wife, uh, Vigera. Why can't I think of her first name right now? But that would that would fit right th- right into the whole thing. Yeah, well, they often elect someone who's the opposite of the last one, so I'm not sure what that would look like. I know Michael Bloomberg wants to run, but so maybe he can be the competent, keep the trains running type. But what do uh, you think yeah, that by now we'd start seeing some uh, something from the Democrats that you'd give us an idea who they're trying to push out there? Heck, Obama knew he was running right after he won the Senate. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think they'll definitely declare really soon after the midterms. And then, like, Cory Booker's been campaigning for candidates in Iowa. I think Kamala Harris has been in South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, I think it's pretty established. They just can't uh, be f- seen as focusing on that before the midterms. Right. So, yeah, oh, I, I understand. Yeah. Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, maybe the mayor of Los Angeles, Chris Cuddy, uh, Bloomberg. John Kerry wants to make another run, I've heard, but uh, a bottle of ketchup yeah, on every um, table. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I don't think John's going to run. The reason is I did not realize that Teresa had a stroke, and she is not oh, coming really? out in public because of it. Huh? I didn't know that. And either. I found that. Yeah, that, I, don't, I don't think that uh, that's the, the fresh face that should be going. And uh, yeah, I think Bernie will be looming over his series, probably like and and by. I don't know if Biden's going to have plenty of Anita Hill, well, Me Too type yes. of uh, issues to deal with, and all that. All that's going to be impacting it. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll be a real scrum, I'm sure, before the first uh, couple states, and that'll that'll be a whole year. So you'll have no <laughs> shortage of it before long. It will be interesting, and I can guarantee you and I will talk about it. So.
Yeah, sounds great. Hey, Darren, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. You have a great night, and we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Good luck with uh, the new platform. Look forward to watching in the future. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. We'll just see what happens after that. You got to get uh, Michael Martin for your next guest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd rather talk to his wife, uh, Eddie, uh, the, the the new Dr. Martin. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, hey, I'll talk to you later, Darren. Have a great night. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, that was Darren Christopher. Uh, we've talked politics on previous uh, versions of this show. Always a nice perspective. Darren's early 30s. He, he makes himself older than he is, but he's early thirties. He, uh, he was a, uh, professional speech writer, writer is what he is, but it was enjoyable talking to him giving a perspective because him and I can talk about it without talking sides. If you noticed, and he does lean toward the democratic and I get that, but it's kind of fun to talk to him. And, uh, I had some stuff on the floor here that I wanted to wrap up. So I'm going to duck away from the camera real quick. And pick this stuff up. There we go. I dropped it when I was talking to him. I don't know if you noticed it or not. But uh, today in history, there's two here I wanted to read for you. The first, and, and, and the two, I think, are very interesting. On this day in 1971, October 10th, 1971, the London Bridge reopens in Lake Hasvu City, Arizona, after being sold, taken apart, shipped, and rebuilt. I remember as a kid driving across country and seeing the sign in Arizona for the London Bridge. And I'm going, but wait a minute. Isn't that in London? No, it is in Arizona now. So if you want to go see, you can. And the big thing that changed a lot of our lives back in 1979, the Pac-Man arcade game was released on this day in 1979. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back in next time. We'll let you know. We're going to then create a regular day and time to do the program. If you want to call me and be part of the show, you can. Phone number to reach me is 724-505-1955. Again, that's 724-505-1955. And also a plug for my other program that I do on WMCK.FM, America's Classic Standards, playing those great hits from the 50s, 60s, and 70s and even the little 80s too. But uh, we're playing some of that great music that uh, a lot of people forgot about. But the fun part is now I'm playing a lot of vinyl. So we're sharing the vinyl uh, on the program now. And you can listen to that program every Saturday at 6 p.m. And then a rebroadcast on Monday at 5. And then the next rebroadcast Wednesday at 9 a.m. That is, I'm sorry. 6 p.m. on Saturday, 5 p.m. on Monday, and 9 a.m. on Wednesday. Everybody, you have a great day, great night, great evening, and we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.